What I wanted to share today, we're going to talk in just a few minutes. It's not going to be, I don't think, very long today. And we all giggle and laugh because it's always long. But uh, I really, uh, I, there's just a short portion on your, on your outline that I want to share a few things with you that, I've been, that God's been talking to me and sharing with me about. And I believe it has something to do with you too. So, uh, you know, I do that. Today we talk about, I believe, in the love and the acceptance and forgiveness of Jesus. You know, that when pastors Pam and Bill came and they started this church, that was the vision that God gave them. To not just have three words written on something all the time, love, acceptance, and forgiveness, but really to show and to be the example or to show the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus with everyone that they meet. You know, as we've gone, we've, we've talked about how we do that locally and in our community, how we do that in our country, and how we do that globally with the Sudan and, and Mexico and the, the Far East with Caleb and Sarah through the Cambodia and through the Hong Kong and all the things that they do there. But really, truly, it's something that each one of us has to be a part of and each one of us has to understand. In the beginning of this particular series, we talked about Jesus, the fact that he is faithful, that God is faithful. I believe that God is faithful. I believe that Jesus is the answer. And I believe that nothing, last week, I believe nothing is impossible with God. We said that we need to open or enlarge our tents. And I'll read that one one more time. It's in Isaiah, and it's in chapter 52. You can look at it, or 54. They're going to put it on the screen here on the Message Bible. It says, clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Spread out. Think big. Use plenty of rope. Drive the tent pegs deep. And we said it's not necessarily just your physical dwelling, but what about your mental dwelling? You know, get your thought life lined up with his thought life. Enlarge your thinking. Enlarge the possibilities. Enlarge what you see God doing in your life. Many times we shrink back when God shows us something instead of taking it and sucking it all in and saying, ah, is there more than that, God? I think many times because we can't do it in our own strength, we start getting worried, and that's what the next scripture deals with in verse 3 as you go on in that particular passage it says you're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family you're going to take over whole nations you're going to wrestle or resettle abandoned cities you can wrestle them too if you want but we're going to resettle them and the next verse i think in verse 4 you know as you go on through talks a little bit more it says don't be afraid you're not going to be embarrassed Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. And that's where people begin to hedge their bets with God because they think if I say this or if I write this down or if I put this out there, what happens if it doesn't come true? What happens if it doesn't happen? What are people going to say about me? What are people going to think? Where am I going to be if I start tithing? If I take 10% and I can barely make it on 100, if I take 10 and I put that in the kingdom and I put that in good ground as God's asked me, then what's going to happen to me when my bills come? So you begin to hedge. That, that's exp- maybe in your life that's expanding your vision. Maybe where you are in your giving and maybe where you are with, with your finances, maybe just even thinking about 10% is expanding your tent. I don't know what it means for you. I'm, I'm seeking God to find out what it means for me and for this church. But I'm excited because I don't want to be a person who gets in this place that hedges because I'm afraid that it's not going to happen. And so last week we said nothing's impossible with God. And this week, you know, we're sharing about love, acceptance, and forgiveness. The love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. This church has always existed to share the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus with everyone. To help others find Jesus, learn to love him and know him more. And if you want to know the vision, if you want to know the direction of this church, that's it. In a nutshell, 
And the thing is, it's not just a vision that the pastor has for the church. It's a vision that the church has, that's all of you, as a congregation. See, that becomes part of your vision. That becomes part of who you are. That you're a person who's supposed to go out of these doors and share the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus with everyone that you meet to help people find Jesus, to help them love him and know him more. The Bible says, we're going to go back through and look at a couple different things. We're going to look at three parts, the love, acceptance, and forgiveness part real quick. A few scriptures maybe that go with them. It says in Genesis, and if you go back to the very beginning, the idea was that God loves you, that God loves me. God loves mankind, and he was in a position that he created all of the things that he created in those days so that that we could have dominion, that we could have authority, that we could live on this earth in plenty and abundance, but that we could have relationship with him. I mean, you have to go back to the original intent. Many times, you know, our pastors have always taught us over the years, and, and, and we continue to teach that idea that says, well, if you're not sure what's going on, go back to the original part. Go back to the thing that God last told you. Go back to where it began, and what did God have in mind? Well, if you go back to Genesis, what God had in mind as he created all this stuff was you and I and relationship with us because he loves us. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. And it says here that God said, let us make man in our own image according to our, and I can tell he's, you know, he's excited. Can you, I mean, you got to read it sometimes in, in the vernacular that maybe it was intended. It wasn't like, well, let's make man in our own image. Darn it. It wasn't like that. See, there was excitement. This was the pinnacle of his creation. We men, man, woman, we, we are the pinnacle of what he was doing because he loves us. He wanted to have relationship with us. And so he was excited about creating us. And that didn't stop with just one couple who made a mistake. That continued all the way through to this day. It says, God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Let them have dominion over the birds of the air and over all the cattle and over everything that creeps. Then he says, so God created him in his own image in the image of God that, that God did create them, man and female, male and female. It says, then God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This love that he has, it says that God is love in 1 John 4. That love is is absolutely unconditional. If you go a couple pages later in chapter 3, Adam and Eve fall, but God's right there. He doesn't forsake them. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't turn his back on them. He doesn't wipe them out. How many times could he have wiped out the children of Israel as they came back and cried to him? But he didn't because he promised them something and he loved them and he cared about them. He wanted to. He wanted to a couple times. But see, this kind of love, you know, this agape love, it's a God kind of love. It's a love that's all about you and none about him. The agape love that he shows us is completely unconditional. It's always about giving. When I share with young people who are getting married or people who are about to tie the knot and do those kind of things, I say, listen, here's the deal. If you want to have a successful marriage, you make it about her and you make it about him. And if you can love each other that way, submit to each other that way, this thing's going to be fantastic. If you don't take a thought for yourself, if you don't care what happens to you, but only if the other person is better and moving forward, then I'm telling you what, you will have everything and all your dreams and all your desires will be fulfilled in this marriage. The problems that begin to exist in marriage is because people get their eyes and their focus on themselves. First of all, off of Jesus and the plan and purpose that he has for them in their life and the couple's life. But then they begin to worry about them and their feelings and their things and their stuff. 
And you're not satisfying me. You're not taking care of me. You're not sharing with me. You're saying, what, what is the common thread? Me, me, me. God doesn't have that kind of love for us. See, God sees us as the ultimate pinnacle of his creation, and he heaps all of his love on us, and he's not worried about any of it coming back on him. What do we do? We freely give that love back to him. But it doesn't matter if you do or don't, he still loves you. See, that's the kind of agape love that says, I don't care if you even love me back, I love you with everything that I am. It's always seeking the total commitment to our best interests, no matter what. No matter if I love him back, no matter if I make a mistake, no matter if I ever turn my heart to him, he loves me. The person who's in the street doing the things that they want to do, maybe they don't even understand or know God and never been told, he loves them. The person who God has has spoken to, the person who's come to him, turned their back on him and wandered off, he loves him just the same. Just the same, both of those as he loves each and every one of us as we sit here today in this place. John 3.16, we all know the scripture, so God so love for God so loved the world that he what he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but should be saved John 15 9 Jesus said as the father has loved me I also love you it says then abide in my love as we talked about you know in in John in that particular passage through there abiding in the vine and this one that word abide means remain it says remain in my love. Allow him to love you. Forget about your past. Forget about your situation. Forget about the stuff you're going through and allow God to love you because the love of God changes your life. Pastor Pam's been sharing it over the last six months or whatever. It's come up more often than it has in years. That idea of going to Tulsa on our our own and allowing God to pour his love into her life. As she played the piano and as she worshiped and as she sat at his feet and as she allowed him to do that, he poured his love into her. And all the junk came out. If you're fighting something, if you're dealing with something, if you're not sure about who you are, if you're not sure about where you're going, allow God to pour his love into your life and you'll be amazed at how quickly all the rest of that stuff disappears. God takes care of you because he loves you. He wants his best for you because he loves you. I want the best for my wife. But there are days, you know, when she doesn't like me. There are days where maybe I've done something and I know it's hard for her to love me. See, but with God, that doesn't happen. See, even in our worst moments, even in our back-turning moments, we don't offend God that way. We don't turn God off on us that way. How easy is it? You know, when God called Pastor Pam back here and we came, we moved back, he said he's going to give her a man who will love her as he does. And over the last 25 years, I've seen that happen. He loves her even when she asks him at 10 o'clock at night to get in his car and drive to the yogurt store and get her a yogurt and bring it home. And all of those times and all of those opportunities, he has chosen to love her <laughs> instead of worry about the cost to him. And that's that kind of love. See, the agape kind of love says, I'm going to love you regardless of the cost to me. And yet, how many times do we enter into relationships and do we enter into situations with, with, a, with a price tag? We used to have a little dog and, and we didn't have a lot of money. And so when I would go to the vet, I would always ask Elizabeth, what's the out price? 
which is not very good, so please don't, don't hate me. But the out price was, how much, is it gonna, how much are we going to actually pay for this dog before we find out that it's not worth paying that anymore? Too many people go into relationships with an out price. If it costs me this much, then I'm not going to love anymore. Now I've got a dog that there is no out price. I love Maisie. She ain't not going anywhere. She's staying right with me. And uh, we're taking... She, the other day, her face and head blew up to be the size of a basketball. And that, like, really kind of, like, that freaked us out. I had her at the vet, man. Like, here, I don't care what you need to do. Here's my checkbook. Here's my credit card. Just whatever you got to do, make her work. Make her work. There's no, you know, I really care about my puppy. There's no out price. See, is there an out price in your relationship with your, with your spouse? Is there an out price with your relationship with God? See, many times we come to God and we say, I totally give you everything that I am except for this little part over here because this is my out price right here. This is, this is where I, I'm not going to, this is it, man. I, I'll go all the way for it, but right here I'm not going to go. And then what happens is we begin to blame God for things not happening in our life when actually it's our own problem and our own mistake. It got too expensive to us and so we drew, we drew back. But God never draws back. He's given you everything. That agape kind of love, regardless of the cost, he loves us. Even in your mess, Romans 5, 8, she's going to put this up here on the screen. It says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that in, while we were, in, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say you have to get yourself fixed. He said, you know what? Even in your mess, I love you enough to send my son. Even if you haven't been born yet and even made the mistakes that you're about to make, I'm going to send my son for you because I love you. That's the kind of love that he has for each one of us. It's a love that the world doesn't know. It's a love that the world doesn't understand. Ephesians 2.4. See, the world doesn't get this. They don't understand the mercy of God. They don't, they've been brought up on this love that's conditional. They've been brought up on this love that says, yeah, 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 I have an out price. You know, I've shared over the last couple of months, you know, Elizabeth and I, and we got to the point where we know that it's God. You have to know that it's God in your life that tells you to do something because when things get tough, then you will not bail because that is what God said. And in our relationship, there came a point and there came a day where we had to get real with each other and say, you know what? I don't like you a whole lot. And I know you don't like me a whole lot, but I love you and I know what God said. And are we going to pay attention to what God said and the love that we have for each other? Or are we going to worry about all the petty things and all the things that are going on in our life that are causing us to come apart? And it's very quick when you realize what God said, what he told you, and what he put in your heart. This says, but God who was rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. See, God is rich in mercy and he has great love with which he loved us. That same kind of agape love. But then you have to realize, turn to Mark in chapter 12. With each one of these things, we begin to turn it back on ourselves. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, it says, Jesus said, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. In verse 30, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. With everything that you are, you will love your God. Even if you don't, he loves you. Even if you don't, he loves you. I mean, do you, do you not like your children even when they make mistakes? No, you love them. Most of the time, I'm not mad at them. I'm just, oh, darn it. But I love them. If you love your kids through discipline, if you love your kids through mistakes, if you love your kids through the wrong path, 
In the end, God will turn those things around for good because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. It's the truth. It goes on then, though, because that one's pretty. A lot of us say, you know what? That's awesome. I do love God that way. With all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my strength, with everything that I am, I love God. Okay, well, then let's get to the second part, verse 31. It says, and then the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, I don't like those people. But I love you, God. (laughs) He says these are really the only two commandments. It says there is no other commandment greater than these. I mean, this is if you want to know what you need to do, love God with all of your heart, your mind, your strength, and all of those things, and love your neighbor as yourself, period. Be a person who walks in love everywhere that you go, especially in church. This church has always been known as a house of love. People have come in the door and said, you know what, I just felt the love of God when I came in the place. Keep that going in your own life. But what I want to hear is people coming up to me and say, you know what? The people of your church are a people of love. Not just inside the doors is a place of love, but the people that are part of your church, there's something about, see, they say when they come in the doors, I hear this all the time. When they come in the doors, you hear this all, boy, I just felt the love of God. And the people were so loving and so kind and they took care of me and they looked out for me. And I had five people greet me before I sat down and all those things. Awesome. That's great. But this is the church. You're supposed to be that way. If you're not, there's a problem. You might get asked to leave. But how many times do we hear, you know what, the people in your church, I met them at Walmart and I saw them at the bank and I saw them down the street and they were full of God's love. See, what is that? See, that means that now we're not just having a vision and a mission for this church. The the vision and the mission of this church is on the inside of each one of us. And as we go out those doors, we carry that vision with us. See, it says in Matthew that men will see your good works and it'll draw them to you. And that's the opportunity for you to impart that same kind of love that God has imparted to you and to me. That love, like we just sang, that never fails. That love that says, I'm going to love you regardless of the cost. I'm not going to honk my horn and wave at you with one finger. I'm going to bless you in the name of Jesus instead. That's right. You got to, you see, you, but you have to make up your mind to do that because the world doesn't do that. And the world accepts the fact that you could be cranky out there. See, the world, it's okay for you to be cranky outside those doors because it ain't church. But we can come in here and we can say, God, I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my mind, all my strength, all my soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then what do you do? You look around. Yeah, I like these people. I'll do it. (laughs) Most of you have been sitting in the same seats next to the same people for years. So it's okay. You obviously like each other. But what's it like in your place of business? What's it like in your family outside of this church? See, what's it like in the community when you go out in those places? Are you known as a person of love? If you want to be known as, if you don't know what it's like, hang out with Pastor Bill. Hang out with Pastor Pam. Everywhere that they go, people flock to them. You know, I mean, we all say the same thing. Just being in a meeting with Pastor Bill, being in a place with Pastor Bill, being at the mall with Pastor Bill. I mean, people are just like, they just like, they just melt. You know, Mike Lamana told me the other day when Pastor Bill came to the prison, he said, I've never seen anything like it. He said, when he walked into the room, he absolutely commanded everybody's attention. But they were won over by his absolute love. And he said, you know what? I don't even think he knows that he was doing that. 
I said, no, it's just who he is. That same thing that God put in his heart, same thing they brought to this church is the same thing that we walk out those doors with everywhere that we go. And he said, people just were drawn to him. And then I said, what'd he do? And he said, he just loved them. He said, guards, staff, kids, it didn't matter. See, that's the kind of love that we need to walk with in our own lives. The next thing on your list is acceptance. Acceptance means to take or to receive something offered, to receive with approval or favor. And what do you do? You offer up your life. And God does what? He accepts you where you are. And he loves you enough not to leave you that way. See, he loves you enough to grow you. He loves you enough to accept all of your stuff. He says, do what? Cast your cares on me. Why? Because he's accepting. What does he do with them? I don't care. He turns them around for good somehow. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me how, when, what, why. What matters to me is the fact that I can do that and that he's accepting of me where I am, good, bad, or ugly. That's what he does. That's who he is. That's the kind of love that he has for each one of us. It says in Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 8, that you are saved by grace. See, God's unmerited favor toward you. That says that, you know what, you don't necessarily deserve it, but he's already paid for it and given it to you. That's the kind of saving grace. That's the kind of love that he has for us. You've been accepted, it says in Ephesians in chapter 1. It says you've been really basically accepted into his family. In Ephesians in chapter 1, if you go to verse 4, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by by Jesus Christ to himself. He used Jesus to come into this earth to be the sacrifice and to shed his blood for us so that we could be accepted into his family. His great love and his great acceptance. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. Oh, but I've done it a bunch. It doesn't matter. Oh, I've come back five times. Come back six. Oh, I've fallen all the way. Get back up. Though I fall, I shall arise. I'm not giving you a license to go out and do whatever you want and then just ask God to forgive you. That's what I'm, I'm not talking about a license to sin. I'm talking about the forgiveness of sin and the acceptance of God if we make a mistake. I want my children to be able to come to me in a time of crisis. I want them to be able to come to me in a time where they've made a mistake. I don't want them to feel like they have to run away from me if they've made a mistake. I can't help them if they run away from me. See, I don't want to put them in. I want them to know the great love that God has. See, he's put it in my heart as a parent, that great love that says, I don't care that you made a mistake. I love you. Come on. It'll be okay. Not run away. Then I don't have an opportunity. Then I don't have a chance. And sometimes we as parents drive them away. Sometimes we as believers drive people away in our life that God just wants us to love and to accept. That's all he wants us to do. Yet we drive them away because we're going to tell them how bad they are, what mistake they made, or how awful it was. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that I was a bad guy, that I did a bad thing, that God doesn't love me because of it. It says that even though I did do bad things, he loves me in spite of those, and he doesn't care what happened. He wants to accept me and bring me into his household, into his family. And so then how can I walk in my life not accepting people who are around me, not accepting people maybe who are above me or below me or whatever the situation status-wise is? How can I walk on this earth and not be accepting? 
I don't accept the sin, but I sure accept the sinner. And in this church, we don't love the sin, but we do love the sinner. Thank God, because that's most of you. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Weren't we all a mess? I mean, look at Brad. He was a disaster. Oh, see, that would have been perfect to have that picture of Brad and that big beard. We could flash that up there. There was a big picture of Brad. He had like a big old beard down to here. He lived in a cabin in Colorado. Wow. Unabomber. But anyway, <laughs> it was something. <laughs> Praise God. He got a hold of him. But it says, <laughs> sorry, Brad. <laughs> Thanks for putting those TVs up and shoveling out back and doing all the things you do. <laughs> Man. I'm going to need some help around here when Brad stops doing things. It says in Romans, though, you know, in chapter 8, that we are joint heirs with him. It says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're not just, we're not just people who he loves, but we're children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So, I mean, we're, we're, he's, I mean, he's adopted us, brought us into his house. We're joint heirs. We are, we are part of who he is. We're seated with him, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. We're seated with him in heavenly places. So, boy, I'm telling you, there is no love greater than that. There's no acceptance greater than that in our lives. Look what he's done. He's loved us. He gave his son for us, and he's accepted and adopted us into his household and into his family. That means there's no... See, wouldn't you say that God would do anything and, and love Jesus? I mean, he's his son, you know? I mean, he's part of who he is. That's, I mean, they're the, the three-part being, you know? Have, so, I mean, wouldn't you just say that? I mean, there's nothing that he wouldn't... I mean, Jesus is like the son of God. I mean, uh, and, but now all of a sudden, what's happened? We've been adopted into that household, and now we are sons. Just like Jesus is a son, we are sons. So doesn't that, doesn't that go to say, or doesn't that, can't, you, can't you say that well, that, well, then if he loves Jesus that way, and I'm a son just like Jesus, do, if I adopt a child, do I love that child any less than I do my own? No. And actually, part of that, you know, you have to fight that idea to love them more than you do your own. Why? Because you were special, man. You chose, you brought him. I mean, they were like, see, I chose that, man. That's, that's the one I picked. I mean, I, I sent my son to die on the cross for them. See, so don't you think that if he loves Jesus, that, then, then since we're adopted into his household as his heirs and as his children, he must love us the same way. He must accept us the same way. The last part is forgiveness, to grant pardon for or remission of, to cancel indebtedness. To cancel, quit trying to pay off your debt to God. Too many believers are trying to pay off their debt before they do something for God. Do something for God. He doesn't need paid back. If you live your life the way God called you to live, <laughs> it's going to be great stuff. Forget about the idea that you owe him because of your mistakes. Forget about the idea that you owe him because of his goodness. Forget about all those things and just love him instead. Thank God he forgives. 1 John 1, 9 says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Ephesians 1, 7 talks about the remission of sins. You know, it says in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his what? His grace, because we can't get our stuff taken care of. We can't get our sins forgiven. I mean, we can't do that. In our, that's why Jesus came, so that we could have those things. So we as believers have to understand that. And then again, turn it back upon yourselves, it says in the word of God. How are we supposed to pray? Ask forgiveness of God just like you would forgive those who've done something against you. Quit trying to repay your debt to God and quit trying to make other people repay their debt to you. Too many emotional debts going on around here and people keeping track of who did what to whom. I'm not going to be okay until they pay me back for that mistake they made. Well, thank God Jesus didn't see it that way. 
Thank God he doesn't have that kind of attitude and that kind of mentality that says, well, you know what? Holy smokes, we'd all be a mess. So what, what right do we have to not love somebody? Or what right do we have to not accept somebody? Or what right do we have not to forgive somebody because of something that they did to us in our lives? None. The only thing that will do, that'll, that'll <laughs> you don't even want to know. That'll put you in a place of despair quick. That will ruin your life. Holding unforgiveness, holding back acceptance, holding back love, you, you are actually fighting against the will of God in your life. And if you're in that place today, repent. Let it go and love God. It's important. I mean, your life depends on it, truly. It's not a word that we like. It's not a word we want to hear. And it's not a word that I'm saying. You know, I'm not telling you that. Maybe God's speaking to you that. Because it's your turn. That's the last thing on our list. The greatest days of your life will come when you fulfill the Great Commission. Thank you. I planned that. First John in chapter 2. See, the thing is, you can be like Jesus. As a matter of fact, as we go through here, you'll see we're supposed to be like Jesus. It says in 1 John 2, 6, that those who, those who say that they're gods, I mean, those who say that, I, you know what, I love God. How many of you, we all we love God. We abide in him. He is who we are. Then you need to read this scripture because it says, he who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Not, it doesn't say he who says that hopefully can walk. It says he ought to, which means you can if you choose to. I mean, that, that, that's exciting that when we walk out of these doors, we choose to love, we choose to accept, and we choose to forgive those people who we come in contact with, that we walk on this earth like Jesus did. Not setting things straight, not walking in judgment, not walking in a, with a critical spirit, but walking in love that's the opposite of all those things. The word ought implies that it's possible. Jesus even said, look in John chapter 14, because I think people say, well, that's awful... Uh, that's an awful big claim that we can be like Jesus. I'm not saying you're going to be Jesus. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that you're going to be him and that you're going to... I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that you have an opportunity to be like him if you so choose. And actually, how about this statement? You have the opportunity to be, to, to be even greater in this earth, to do more and do greater things than maybe what he did. Woo-hoo-hoo! We'll read the verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Then what did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit to be in his place that resides on the inside of each one of us, not just with one person in this world. And now, all of a sudden, I believe next week in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that is the thing that sets people free. That's the thing that leads you. That's the thing that guides you. That's the thing that brings to you what you need in that moment that you need it. That's the thing that causes you to be rich. The definition of rich is just having all that you need at the moment that you need it. What is the Holy Spirit supposed to do? Be all that we need in the moment in which we need it. But if you're not walking in love, if you're not walking in acceptance, and you're not walking in forgiveness, then it's impossible for you to even sniff the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a believer, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're sorely at a disadvantage in the world in which you live. It says, greater works than these you will do. In Luke chapter 4, it was Jesus saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's called me and anointed me 
See, these are the things that Jesus was telling. And this was just a prophecy, right, from, from Joel. or even this was the thing that said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover his sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I mean, these are the things that Jesus came to do. And it says we're supposed to do what things? The same as he did. So have you brought liberty to an oppressed person lately? Have you preached the gospel to the poor? Not just the poor in finances, but the poor in spirit. Next verse. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Are you doing it? Are we, are we out there? I mean, is that, see, because it says that great, these works you will do and greater works these will you, that you will do also. It says in Matthew at the end in the Great Commission, it says, go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them. See, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all of those things. He wasn't just talking to 12 dudes on a hill. He was talking to everybody that came after that moment and that point. And that is the thing that you're called to. Well, I'm saying I'm called to this. I think this is my call. Let me tell you what. Your cause is, is setting captives free and changing lives for the, for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. That is your cause. And if you're looking past that to the thing that you're supposed to do, you are wrong. And you will never see those things happen in your life. Period. We're not all supposed to be in this pulpit preaching to all these people. But you are supposed to be in your personal pulpit somewhere preaching and teaching to somebody. All of us, every one of us. And the church will not reach the place that it's supposed to reach. Not Victor Christian Center. The church in the world, the church today, will not reach the place that it's supposed to reach if people like you and I don't actually take this verse seriously, don't walk with the love and the acceptance and forgiveness of Jesus Christ everywhere they go, and set captives free. That's what we're supposed to do, period. I'm really more excited than that. I love all you. You're first service people. You've been here a while. You don't necessarily get outwardly excited. Second service gets outwardly excited, but they don't have any clue what we're talking about. <laughs> but they want to do something. They don't know what it is, but they're ready to go. A.W. <laughs> Tozer, he was a preacher early in the 1900s, and he said the... the, the the great people, the great in this world, he said, simply love God more than others did. See, is it going to be said of you that you want to be great? I was talking to a young person this week, and they have a vision. They have a dream. They have, God's told them lots of things, going to be lots of things, going to see lots of things. And I told, you know, told them some things and talked back and forth. And finally, when it all came down to it, I said, don't stop doing what God told you to do. Don't stop writing. Don't stop, you know, don't stop believing. Don't stop doing those things. But you better start serving somebody. You don't need to serve me. You don't need to serve the church. You need to serve people, serve mankind. You need to get out there and put your hands on people. Pray for them. You need to get out there and speak the word of God into people's lives. You need to be out there making a difference. If you can't make a difference with one person in your neighborhood, one person in your house, one person in your street, there is absolutely no way that you could ever do anything for God outside of that in the place of your business or in any other situation. He is not going to, see, God promotes. He is not going to elevate you into that place until you can take care of the things that he called you to do today. In this moment, in this place. And I've been reading this book, The Cause Within You. I would encourage you all to get it. Of course, we don't have any copies. But you can get it somewhere. And I bought the only one at Barnes & Noble. So you're on your own. <laughs> we'll have some more in the bookstore next week. It's a story of Matthew Barnett. And uh, many of you uh, may or may not know Matthew Barnett. He has the Dream Center in Los Angeles. And uh, his dad, Tommy Barnett, uh, was a huge, successful 
uh, Assemblies of God, and still is, Assemblies of God pastor in Phoenix. And, and they'd come to him and said, there's this church called Bethel Temple in Los Angeles, and the pastor's 80 years old, and he's getting ready to retire. And I just share this with you because this is something that God's been dealing with me in, in, in my life, and there's been a couple instances now, and so this is part of it. And he said, this guy's about 80, and he's about to retire, and the, the church has dwindled down to 39 people. And I need you to go, and I need you to make a difference. And, and, and so he prayed about it, and he had to take somebody with him because he still had his church. They weren't relieving him of the duty. And, and unbeknownst to him, his son at the time was 20. Matthew Barnett was 20. And at 16, God told him he would have a big church in L.A. And for four years, he didn't know what to do with that, or he just was helping his dad and just doing what he was supposed to do. And then, then this, he said, I don't want to tell my dad that, I, that God said this because he'll take me. And I don't want him to take me. See, I don't want him to take me just because I told him. I want him to take me because God said. He understood timing. He understood the leading of the Lord. And you may be here today and say, all those things are great, but this is my cause. This is my f-. Let me just tell you, you, you listen to what he says. One of his friends, Tommy Barnett's friends, told him, hey, how about your son Matthew? And then he came to him and he said, Matthew, I don't know why, but I mean, are you supposed to go to L.A. with me? And he told him the story. And he said, awesome. He's 20 years old, so they fly and they get to L.A. and they move into this place. And he's like, yes, man, it is, it is just gang central. Just a dump. But Bethel Temple is one of, the church, one of the churches that was on Azusa Street back in the day. And, and it was one of the places where the charismatic movement you know, started breaking loose in the country. And so he knew the, the historical importance of that place and what was going on. But his dad would fly home and then fly back and then Thursday to Saturday, spend time with them, and they were doing things, and he knew he was going to have a great church in L.A., and God had told him at 16, and now it's coming to pass at 20, and oh, man, this is going to be awesome. And he said, I preached that church from 39 people to zero. <laughs> he said, there was actually a service that nobody showed up. And he said, and it was at that point that I began to fall into despair. And he said, I, I finally, this is a, just a couple chapters, you know, but he said, I, I finally went, went into my room and I, I fell down on my bed that night and I cried and wailed, actually, that whole night, just gone. You know, what, what, what is, you, you told me, you promised me, I'm trying, I'm doing everything that I, I know to do. I'm doing everything that, you know, I, I felt like was going to happen and see. And he said, God got him up, let him get to the point where he was good and exhausted of himself. And then he took him out. But he said to God, he said he took him to this place called Echo Park. And he said, it's not a place that a white kid goes ever, let alone at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And he said, uh, he begins to describe it. And it, I mean, it's every derelict that's out there, cop cars everywhere. I mean, it, it is an absolute mess. It used to be a beautiful place, but it's run down. It's a dump. And uh, he took him there. And, and so he's standing there looking at all these people. And he's looking at all this stuff, drug dealers, pimps. Hookers. I mean, it, I mean it, it's, it's, it's everything, man. It, it's all over the place. People, I mean, it's, it's not just the homeless. And he said, so this is where you brought me, Lord, from the secure suburbs of my upbringing, upbringing in, the, in the desert to a squalor and hopeless of Los Angeles, not the Beverly Hills, mind you, ground zero of human depravity. It's bad enough that you give me a dying church, but now you've given me a dying neighborhood also. You're not a dying church. You're not a dying neighborhood. You're not a dying individual. You're a thriving man or woman of God if you keep your focus on Jesus. He said, look at this mess, Lord. You've brought me here. I came willingly, full of hope and excitement and passion. I came here to build you a great church. And he said, at that moment, I heard God speak to me. I did not bring you here to build me a great church. I brought you here to build people. I brought you here to build these people. You build the people. I'll build the church. He said, slap down by God. 
God told him again, though, I don't ever want you to talk or even think about success again. Think about being a blessing. See, too many people are worried about success. Too many people are worried about what's going to happen in the great dream that God's given me and how's this going to... Don't worry about that thing. God will take care of that. The only thing you have to do is serve God and follow God today. He said, don't, don't do that. Think about being a blessing. Success is obedience to your calling. I have called you to bless these people, love them, heal them, help them, serve them. I love these people. If you reach the people that nobody wants, I'll send you the people that everybody wants. And he said, reach the people that nobody wants was, was not exactly what he wanted to hear. He said, I wanted to hear from God, and I did. As is often the case, it was not exactly what I expected to hear. But he looked around and he realized, this is my congregation. They just didn't know it yet. Somehow it said his worst nightmare had turned into his greatest thrill. After a well-intentioned false start, I was finally en route to fulfilling my cause. God was in it. Clearly, this was going to be a wild ride. And he talks about how the fact that as he began to focus on people and he began to minister to the person who came across his path, God began to build the church. And then the next day they had to rent the next building and the next time they had to rent the next building and then the next thing they ended up with a 15-acre place. The next one had to be this and that. And it's not just him who did it. It was the people who were coming in, the people who were getting fixed, the people who were... And all of a sudden he wasn't looking out to all the things that were wrong with people. He was looking at all the good in people. And they may have been Count Dracula and they may have had fangs and they may have been all kinds of stuff and they may have been prostitutes. And they have, all of these things, they were all... But he began to minister to them. And then all of a sudden the opportunity to, re, to acquire Angelis Temple, which was Amy mcpherson's church came about and that's why it's called angeles temple in la but see tommy barnett his dad wrote a book and said the miracles in the house and he said i knew that book i understood the book it was my dad who wrote the book but i looked in the house and there was actually a day when there wasn't anybody in the house so god what can you do and what did god begin to do he began to build the house as he began to build people in your life, you have, a, you have a dream, you have a vision, you have those things. In this church, we have a vision, love, acceptance, and forgiveness, being that and bringing that to people that we meet both locally and globally. See, helping people find Jesus, helping them love him and know him more. But it starts not just with me, not just with Pastors Pam and Bill and Elizabeth. It starts with each one of you. Having that same desire and that same compassion on the inside of you that says, you know what, I'm going to help whoever I can help. I'm going to forget about chasing the stuff, huh? You know, forget about that stuff. Forget about all the schooling. Forget about all the things. Forget about all the money. See, God will build your dream. He'll bring it to pass because you're building people. You know, I mean, I, I couldn't have been any more excited than when you said, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to go work <laughs> for food finders. Right? I mean, I'm, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to go help people. See, and that's a heart and that's a cry of a generation to help people. They just don't know who to help. <laughs> Look around. They're all around you. Let's stand up today. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you have drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.